welcome to Evil Pudding Podcast. We have a theme song. We have a theme song. I'm excited. I'm loving it. I don't know how many people have actually told us, when are y'all going to get a theme song? That's the question. I've offered to sing one many times and nobody wanted it. No, I I don't disagree with them on that one. (laughs) It's not something we necessarily need right now. (laughs) Well, I like this one. It's kind of creepy. It's a little creepy. I like it. It's got the creepy undertone. It could be... Scary, could be murdery. Yeah. Fits our, fits our lifestyle, I guess. It does, it does. So welcome. All right. Well, welcome to the Pudding Pod. Episode four. Four. Yeah, episode four. How oh. are you, Pat? I'm exhausted. How are you? I'm exhausted. It's been a day. Yeah, it has. It has been a day. But I've been looking forward to this all day for sure. It's a good, yeah, it's definitely a good stress reliever or a break from... Everyday stuff that we can do this and kind of yes hang out and bullshit and have a little fun. And, Absolutely. You know. And I'm not in a squeaky chair today. I'm so happy about that. I know. I don't realize how sensitive this mic is. So something that's not very loud to me, like your pin clicking or my, my chair squeaking when I get excited. Or cracking a knuckle. Or cracking a knuckle or taking a sip of your water and swallowing. It's all like, it's all magnified. It picks it up. It, picks it, up. it really does. I know. But any hot takes today or no? Not really. No patisms? No patisms. Okay. Had a couple but decided against it just <laughs> due to the state of the universe these days. So. Yeah, maybe maybe pass we're only putting good things out there right now. I'm trying to. Um what was I gonna say? That's a good question. Oh yeah. We got some feedback from last episode and people were um Really interested to learn that you used to be a cop, and I cannot believe we didn't start off with that. That makes us relevant. Yeah, it does kind of change the tone of it. Like it doesn't just make us crime crime junkies. There's like you're a crime junkie, and I do have a background with you know some law enforcement with what I did. I wasn't busting down serial killers anywhere or anything like that. But you could have been though if I was around then. No, the places I were. At the times, there weren't really serial killers at Fort Sill oh, okay. or uh, Oklahoma or Hawaii or even Korea. That you know of. Well, yeah, that I know of, but <laughs> I wasn't chasing them either. No, that's very true. Plus, I was, I was limited on post, right? So, right. On base, so. So, that's cool. People were interested to learn that. And we also, I'm seeing that we have some international listeners, and that's really, really, really awesome. I love seeing that. That was really weird. I know. I couldn't see believe it. Somebody in Europe was listening and to And they us. returned back. They returned listeners. And it's like, wow, it wasn't just an accident that you clicked on us. You came back to us. There's so, somebody... welcome, guys. Welcome. Absolutely. <laughs> Follow us on uh, Instagram, Evil Pudding Podcast, so we can get to know you guys. Yep. And Courtney corrected me last time. We are on iHeartRadio. I forgot how many places I put us up at, but we are on mm-hmm. iHeartRadio, Google, uh, Spotify, obviously, Anchor, which yeah. is where Anchor's where we uh, we launched from. So if anybody's out there really kind of looking at getting into podcasts and you have no idea what to do, I highly recommend Anchor. It was recommended to us by, uh, by a friend of mine that has her own podcast, mm-hmm. uh, Jen. Shout out to Raider. Hi, Jen. Um, it was recommended to her by her to us, and it's it's really easy to use. You just go on there, create your page. It creates a, home, a website for you basically on their yeah. page, and then you get a link, and you can link it up to everybody else's podcast All the other platforms. platforms. But it automatically goes to Spotify from Anchor. So right. Spotify runs Anchor, obviously. So It's really cool. That's exciting. Exciting times. Yeah, and also you can give us case rec- recommendations on our Instagram, too. We'd like to hear what, yep. what you want. Or if you're, you know, if you're on the Spotify page or the Anchor page, there's a, leave a voice message. You oh, can, that's right. You can send us a voice message and say, hey, you 
people suck or hey i want to hear more about no, please a be donut nice. thief or... be nice please be nice <laughs> <laughs> okay send the mean ones to me i'll take care of yeah 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 send the mean ones to him be nice to me <laughs> okay you ready let's get into it because i'm trying to i promised patrick that i'd keep it brief ish because the last one there was a lot of editing behind the scenes because that was about two hours worth of and then the sound was awful towards the end oh this is our last also one more thing of business this is our last episode with this setup so the sound should be a lot better by next week yeah we're sharing a mic right now and we have one desk that we're working off of and we got we're some, way too close there's some furniture coming in that i gotta put together this weekend we'll have two mics uh, one for you one for me so we can be a little separated there and yeah. Just a little bit of a better setup going forward. Uh, it's because we're doing this in our home office right now. Home office that doesn't have a door, which is why you hear dogs scurrying in the background mm-hmm. or kids flushing toilets or you might hear one or two of them screaming because I don't know why they scream, but they do it all the time. Video games. Yeah, well. They're not They're not suffering. No, I'm not screaming like <laughs> suffering. I'm screaming like, why are you just screaming right now? It's, but anybody who has kids understands that they just scream for no reason. No, no reason at all. And the older they get, you would think they get better. But no, the older they get, the they worse they get. They get louder. They just get louder. And they scream at more random things when they're older. Mm-hmm. When they're little, it's like, I'm hurt. Someone's trying to kill me or there's a spider. When they're older, it's like... I saw a good new Pop-Tart commercial on TV. Like it, I just don't get it. So stupid. <laughs> There's your pat take for the day. There's the hot take There's for the, the day. Take. I like it. My like rant. It. Okay. So, but... who's this depraved lunatic? Well, we don't know. <laughs> An unsolved murder? An unsolved murder. Any guesses? Mm, is it famous? Very. Very famous? Yeah. Is it... If you guess it, I'm, I'm leaving. Is it in the last... Is it recent or is it like... No, not recent. How far back? We're talking like 100 years, early 1900s, or 1800s? 1947. West Coast? Yes. You're going to get it. Wouldn't have to do something with a hotel in L.A., Probably one of the most famous murders of all time that's never been solved. Yes, has music but... songs named after it. Some really good music. Uh, two words, probably Black Dahlia, maybe. Oh, you got it. That's what we're doing. <laughs> I was like, "What I hotel know... are you talking about?" I only know it didn't happen in a hotel. I, I forgot it was a hotel. It's was, it was a house, wasn't it? It was an empty lot. Empty lot. But she stayed in a hotel in the Biltmore. That's where I got it from. Okay. That's where I got the hotel from. Okay, so I feel like. Many people are going to be familiar with this old Hollywood case is how, really what, what it's called. How are you not? It's one of the most high profile yeah. unsolved murders. It's so, I mean, it's so, what's the word I'm looking for here? It, it is so iconic. Iconic cult. It's a cultural pop culture, ref, pop culture reference. Mm-hmm. That's what I was going for. There's movies about it. There's one, that movie with Josh Hartnett was in it about the Black Dahlia. You're taking the um, words right out of my mouth. And I'm not, I don't even know what's on your thing. Um, like I said, there's a Black Dahlia murders. I can't, I think it's a song or is it a band? I'm, I'm sorry, is it? Is I, it a band? I think it's a band. Don't quote me on this. I'm not aware. I have to. Uh, I just know it's everywhere. It's referenced it in, in everything. The machine. I have to use the web, the World Wide Web's. But a lot of people don't know her real name. Do you know her real name? Not Black Dahlia. That's her name. Nope. That's her name. That's not That's her name. That's the name I gave her. That's her name. Elizabeth Short. That's AKA her name. the Black Dahlia. AKA the Black Dahlia. Which I know why she was named that, but I'm not going to go there now. There are countless books written on this case, and it's also been adapted into a movie starring Josh Hartnett and Hilary Swank. It good came movie. out in early 2000s, I think. Yeah, it's a good movie. Side note, Josh Hartnett makes some good stuff. Uh, the movie was very loosely 
based well, on the case. Hollywood took its liberties when they wanted to make some money off of Oh it. my god, we're the same person. I just said my the next thing in my notes, look, look, and took a lot of Hollywood took a lot of liberties. Everybody knows they do. They just take a story and spin it however they want. It's going to be good for tickets. You know how when tickets. you and your dog start to look alike, you and your husband start to think alike? That's really scary. Uh, but this is Wait, one what? of... <laughs> Why? Who looks like the dog? You know how owners sometimes look like their dogs? No. Oh. I mean, I hope I don't look like my dog. I don't but... want to look like a bulldog. I don't... He's very cute, but it's not for he's, me. He's cute in like the super ugly cute way. <laughs> Bless his heart. <laughs> Okay. The other one Don't get mad a, at me for when this is too long. The other one's a damn polar bear. She's a polar bear. I'd look like her. All right, go ahead. But this is one of those cases that's, uh, it's a classic to say the least. And we would be remiss if we didn't cover it at some point, right? Uh, spoiler alert, this crime remains unsolved, which I absolutely hate. I hate unsolved crimes, but this is just one you have to cover. I think I know who did it, however. I feel like all of you guys are going to have um, some pretty strong opinions as to who the killer might be by the end of this episode. Well, that's so, the thing about this this crime is for yeah. almost 100 years now, people have literally everyone has an opinion on who it was. Well, I kind of put a different spin on it. I'm going over the FBI's actual, in their FBI case file, the actual suspect list yeah. and giving you a quick rundown on everybody on it. Um and then I really want to hear what you guys think. I mean, interact with us. I really want to know what you guys think and why. Um, like I said, I have very strong feelings about who did it. And I think you're going to agree with me just because I know how your brain works. Uh, hit us up on our IG. Um, just DM us or comment. Um, okay, let's get into it because brevity is not my strong suit. So here we go. Okay, Wednesday morning, January 15th. 1947, just under two years after World War II had ended, by the way, um, Betty Bursinger and her three-year-old daughter took a peaceful stroll down South Norton Avenue in the Lemert Park neighborhood of South LA. They were on their way to buy shoes, just a normal Wednesday morning going with her little three-year-old girl to buy shoes. Um, Mrs. Bursinger noticed a very white mannequin laying in an undeveloped lot uh, near the sidewalk. Its top half completely separated from its bottom half. Weird, right? But okay, yeah, it's a mannequin. Strange. It's a mannequin. It could have fallen, yep. fallen apart or something. Um, upon closer inspection, it became obvious that this was not a mannequin. It was a dead body of a young woman who had been cleanly, and I emphasize cleanly, cut in half, surgically almost. She quickly ran to the nearest house to call the police, almost too frantic to recount what she'd seen and where she had seen it, understandably. I don't think I'd be able to get the words out. Yeah, it's probably kind of hard to report a body cut in half as you're walking to the shoe store with a three-year-old. And they, they probably thought it was a joke at first. Like, what? Until you didn't you see that a stuff bloody back mess then. And it's just... No blood. Very odd crime scene. Absolutely not one drop of blood, no smear, nothing. I mean, she wasn't killed there. She was put there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Um, Though the LAPD responded quickly, guess who responded even quicker? The pops. Yep, the press. Paparazzi. They were awful back then. I mean, they're not much better now, but they were, they were on, they were on some crap As back then. As my friend Flula Borg would say, the paps. The paps. It was a media circus almost immediately, and you're gonna love this. 
It's reported that one of the journalists, Will Fowler, touched the young woman's body, so he messed with the crime scene. Her eyes were open, and he reached down and closed her eyes. As a cop, what, what's your thoughts on that? He actually touched the body. Well, he's a dummy. <laughs> but at the same time, I understand where he's coming from. Like, it's that whole closing of the eyes when someone's dead and puts him at peace. Well, yeah, kind of but thing. you just but, don't do that. No, you just don't. But this is also the 40s. No one knew about, like, forensic evidence. No, that's true. They didn't. Kind of things. Well, they weren't sitting there scraping the crime scene for fingerprints. So, um, when the police did arrive at the scene, they knew from the get-go that this case was going to be huge, right? And so did the media. And more and more journalists and photographers, they just kept showing up. And they were swarming around the police, making it more difficult for them to do their job. Once getting the zoo of reporters under control, they were finally able to take in the crime scene. And it was something far beyond what they had ever experienced before. Initially, they noticed that the young woman's body was lying on her back. The two halves of her body, they were approximately a foot apart from each other, and they were zigzagged, kind of catty-cornered from each other. Very intentionally placed. Oh, yeah. Um, This is very preliminary, what the cops noticed. We'll get into the autopsy report Mm -hmm. later. Uh, Her right breast was completely removed. Um, the number one fact about this case that everyone seems to know, even if you're not familiar with the Black Dahlia murder, is that our victim had also been given a Glasgow smile. You, you know what that is? It's when you're cut deeply from, yeah, from your ear, across your mouth, your ear, from ear to ear. Your entire jawline from the corner of your mouth yeah. all the way up. Yeah. So, kind of like the Joker. Right. And it originated in Scotland back in... The Glasgow. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, so if this young lady would have healed... From receiving the Glasgow smile, it would have been a scar that looked she like would have a smile. Like yeah, the Joker in most Batman movies. Right. Uh, two cement bags were found lying near the body, and police suspected that the bags were used to transport the pieces of body to the scene. So this crime scene was not the place where this woman was killed, like you had said. Um, she had been moved. Rigor mortis had not even yet set, set in. Which which is odd to me. Because obviously she hasn't; it's fresh, right? Mm-hmm. But that means Fish. somebody drained the blood from Very this good. body yep. before it went there. Because if it, if it is fresh and rigor mortis hadn't even set in, the blood be, would be pooling and it would be coming out of the obviously detached halves of the body. Well, it's interesting that you say that because that's my next point, and we get into which I love the little science lesson. Um, so rigor mortis had not yet set in, but there was evidence. Remember, she's lying face up. But there was evidence that she had been left face down for quite a while following her death. Like, and she might have been killed face down. Blood um, Probably they were able to tell from lividity. And that is also called liver mortis. And that's the gravitational pulling mm-hmm. of blood. So basically, if you die on your back, not you personally, but... Yeah, all the, all the blood sinks all the to blood the bottom sinks of your to body. The bo- so it would sink to your backside, right yeah. behind your head. And, and it so would cause the skin... It for yeah, it would cause the skin to take on like a blackish... Like a bruise. Yeah, like, like a bruise. bruise. It, it's a really weird sight to see because you have this one layer part of the body that's really dark and bruised. Right. And the other part is void of blood. Right. So it's really white. It's a really con- awkward contrast to see a body with those colors. Like I said, I've, I've seen Very it. Very white and then black on the other side. Yeah, I've seen it before. It is not a sight <laughs> that is normal. But it's a natural process, right? So right, even if absolutely. You're not, even if you're not butchered like she is, you right. just die of natural causes... And you're there the long contrast enough, is alarming. It's going to happen. So since she was 
discovered facing upward. This was obviously an indicator as well that she had been moved. Um, so the body was fingerprinted and plans um, were made to send copies of her prints to the FBI. Remember, this was 1940s, so they had to mail her fingerprints to the FBI. But reporters were so desperate for this story that they actually started using the papers. It's called a sound photo machine, which was kind of a precursor to the fax machine um, to get the prints to the FBI more quickly. Oh, I'm sure it's so easy to identify a print using a sound phone Well, less machine. than 48 hours after the initial discovery of her body, police had a name to go with the young victim's face. Huh? Elizabeth Short. Show me you're wrong. That's right. So... I just wanted to touch on this. They identified the victim, Elizabeth Short, before. The next step is obviously for detectives to properly notify her family, right? Yeah, they're probably going to go to her place, check it out first, and then right. notify the family to make sure. Because, you know, I don't know how certain they are in that DNA back then or fingerprinting. They might want to go check the house and say, hey. No DNA yet. Well, I meant for the fingerprints. Yeah. yeah. They might want to go find out where she lives and then go check and make sure, is this really her? Okay, she's missing. Okay, let's tell the family. Well, her family lived in Massachusetts. Not there, uh, in L.A. Um, like I said, the press were truly vultures. So once they received the name of the victim, they tracked down her family in Massachusetts and called her mom long before investigators had the chance to properly notify her. Reporters from the L.A. Examiner, actually, uh, rather than telling Mrs. Short about the tragedy, told her, hey, Elizabeth had won um, a beauty contest. And we just wanted to get a little more information about her life and her childhood. And so poor Mrs. Short just went on and on bragging about Elizabeth. And she so, was so proud of her. This is, this is what I hate about... Here's Pat's rank number two for the day. Okay. I hate the media. Do it too. Oh, I yeah. hate the media. They're, They're not much so better concerned. Today. They are so concerned about cracking a story rather than having human decency or respect for you know the deceased or the families. All they're trying to do is scoop everybody else to be the first one out there. Right. So, can you imagine the toll this took on Mrs. Short when the reporter ended the conversation by telling her that, hey, your daughter's dead, by the way, and hung up. <laughs> Just callous. I would legitimately find that reporter, track her down, and have you beat her up. Okay. I'm not going to beat up a woman, but I'm going to let you do it. I'll do it. Okay. I can't even imagine. And soon, thanks to the press, the details of her gruesome crime scene would become public knowledge. I'm sure before the police could even do anything, but this was probably running on every headline, especially so in the awful. L.A. area, probably nationally. Well, let's get into who Elizabeth was, because that's very important. Um, we need to know to know who who done it. We need to know a little bit about Elizabeth Short, our victim. Uh, Elizabeth was born on July 29th, 1924. Good year. To Cleo, yep. Do you remember it? No, I have no idea. I just <laughs> felt like saying good year. <laughs> to Cleo and Fe- Cleo's her dad and Phoebe May Short in Hyde Park in Boston, Massachusetts. Cleo owned a successful business of building mini golf courses, which was something new back then. Kind of a new thing. Mini golf was around back then? Yeah. Well, he made sure of it. That's cool. Isn't that cool? So uh, she was in the middle of five sisters. That's quite a few girls. Her family had relocated to Medford, Mass, before her father, Cleo, unfortunately just didn't come home one day when Elizabeth was just six years old. He went out for a pack of cigarettes? Cleo's a gallon of milk. Cleo's, no, he didn't. 
Cleo's car was uh, actually found on a bridge, abandoned, so it was widely assumed that he committed suicide for years. Hmm. But one day, Elizabeth received a letter that said, uh, Hey fam, what's up? I'm alive. I faked my suicide, and hey I'm fam? sorry. Is that, is that how they talked in It's a direct quote. Hey fam? It's a direct quote. So you're telling me this, this we're, speaking, we're yes. saying hey fam back in the 1920s. He said, what's up? I'm alive. J- JK. The LOL at the end of it? LOL. Yep. Was there an emoji? That was the question. So, yeah, he said he faked his whole suicide, and um, he's just a big asshole. Rumor had wow, it, though. You guys sucked. I peaced out. I peaced and I out. faked my death, so you can warn me, but yeah, I just couldn't deal with y'all anymore. LOL. Wow. Uh, rumor had it, though, he struggled with addiction, although nothing can be confirmed. He kind of remained mum. Uh, by this time, Phoebe, her mom, was doing her thing, raising five girls in a small apartment on her own, working as a bookkeeper. And she wanted absolutely nothing to do with Cleo, understandably. I would be pissed at you if you did that. But she still gave her kids permission to rekindle a relationship with her father because she's a good mom. Elizabeth really missed her dad. Elizabeth was the one girl who really missed her dad. Uh, she did get to visit him at the age of 10, where he lived now in Vallejo, California. Um, he was actually working at a naval shipyard there. And it was here that Elizabeth just fell in love with California. Fell in love with California. Yep. All the glitz and glam. makes sense that she would probably be the most, feel the most connection to him at that point, right? Yeah. Because the little two, when when she left, when Mm -hmm. he left, we're we're probably not old enough to even remember him. And the older two probably realized what was going on. And And just couldn't stand him. Screw you, dude. Yeah. So she was probably like right at that perfect age where she was like, I miss you. I miss you. I understand. Unfortunately... Elizabeth, sorry, my voice cracked. <laughs> Unfortunately, sorry, puberty hits you late sometimes. <laughs> Unfortunately, Elizabeth suffered from asthma, and the Massachusetts winters—they're cold. Um, That—that's <laughs> my hot take of the day. That's, that's a good hot take, baby. <laughs> I should be a weather girl. It's cold in Massachusetts it's cold. in the winter. It's cold. Um, it's saying it's hot in Texas. The Massachusetts winter exacerbated her breathing problems, so her mother sent. Elizabeth to Florida at the age of 16 to spend the winter, and that's something she would do every winter for three years. Everyone around Medford loved and admired Elizabeth. Um, She was breathtakingly beautiful, and she had dark black hair, white porcelain skin, and these bright green eyes. It was reported that she was a big head turner around town. She dreamt of becoming a movie star on the silver screen one day. Medford just wasn't cu- going to cut it for her for much longer. You no, know? It's it not, just especially if she's gonna... already going to California and loves it out there. And... Right. She wanted to become an actress. And that's the place to go. Especially back then. Especially back then. Nowadays you can do this and put a video camera on you and you're famous. Right. So in, 19, in 1943, Cleo, her dad, moved to South L.A. He offered to give 19-year-old Elizabeth... $800 to move herself out there to live with him. So in exchange for living with him rent-free, all he asked was that she cook and clean for him. And she agreed. So it's not a bad deal. It's not a bad deal. So, and she got to move to L.A. Got to move to L.A. Yeah. He paid for the move. Because you're talking about $800, and we're talking about, what, 1940 Yeah. It was a good amount of money. It's a good amount of money. And then uh, all she's got to do is cook and clean? Mm-hmm. So, when she went to L.A., she would also get a job at Camp Cook at the Post Exchange. And if you don't know what a Post Exchange is, it's a retail store on a mil- military base. It is a Walmart on it's the base a Walmart that is on a run base. by the Department of Defense. 
Um, this whole arrangement that she had going lasted for all of three weeks. Not very long. <laughs> Elizabeth was going out after work and staying out way too late and definitely not cooking or cleaning. And her father wouldn't hear of it and she he kicked her out, unfortunately. Elizabeth, though, she desperately wanted to stay in L.A. and not go back, back to Massachusetts. She wanted to be a big star, right? So, once a good girl who never drank or spoke to boys, Elizabeth started drinking quite a bit and dating various soldiers on base. Because remember, this is after the war. Or before the war. So there's tons of soldiers wandering around. This would get her into a bit of trouble in September of 1943 where she, when she was arrested for underage drinking at a Mexican food restaurant. Remember, she's only 19. She was uh, charged with juvenile delinquency and underage drinking. Oddly enough, her arresting officer, I thought this was sweet, Mary Unifer, took Elizabeth in and let her stay with her for a week until she could catch a train back to Massachusetts. Of course, Elizabeth was not about to stay there too long. She went back to Florida for a time, spent some time in Chicago before returning back to California in July of 1946 to visit a soldier in Long Beach named Lieutenant Joseph Gordon Fickling. He was soon sent to North Carolina, but she decided to stay in California. She, she just loved it there. So she would remain there until the time of her death. Um, her and Joseph Gordon Fickling, he doesn't really come to, into play anymore, but they did keep in touch. They remained friends. In fact, he received a letter from her just a week before she died. Um, let's go ahead and get this over with, the gory details. Okay. So by now, an autopsy had been performed on Elizabeth's body. Let's go ahead and talk about what happened to this poor girl. And trigger warning, this is pretty gruesome. But we need to hear the details, I think, in order to truly appreciate the depravity of the individual responsible. Trigger warning like our other three episodes? No, 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 no. Well, mm, I mean, she was solid mm, in half. It gets gets bad. So, like I said before, like you said, Elizabeth's body was completely cut in half right above the belly button. Her intestines, which were protruding from the lower half of her body, were tucked underneath her buttocks. Uh, it would later be determined that she suffered lacerations to her pubic region and anal region post-mortem. Um, her pubic and anal regions were also slightly enlarged, which could be an indicator of sexual assault, but there was no seminal fluid detected at that time. Um, this is odd as well. A game of tic-tac-toe was carved into her hip. Isn't that weird? No, that's normal. I believe that this is probably done uh, to torture her while she was alive because there was bleeding and bruising, so that shows the heart was pumping when it was done. So this was a torture method. This, to me, is the worst part, though. So get ready. Oh, it makes me sick. It makes me sick. The medical examiner determined that she had fecal matter in her stomach. Ugh. So She was tortured. That doesn't belong there. <laughs> feces does not belong in your stomach per se. So it's thought that she was she had been made to consume feces. You know. Well, yeah, that's exactly what it sounds like. Is no one rightfully just eats poop? Right. Uh, also, vomit was shown to have been in her stomach. Yeah. Well, if you put poop in my stomach, there's going to be vomit too. Yeah. It also appeared that the killer had washed her entire body as it was cleaned, uh, not even one blood smear. 
Speaking of blood, her body was completely drained of its blood, which is why she was so pale, good job, upon discovery, and was thought to be a mannequin. So creepy. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it reminds me of, you know, the Gainesville Ripper and some of the other ones we've talked about, even some of the ones you and I have watched movies on and talked about offline. It's this grandeur, over-the-top act of presentation. Mm-hmm. Like, look how special I made this. Yeah. But in the same token, the torture that she underwent when she was alive. Because, I mean, if you just strangle me, I don't care what you do after. No, of course, of course. Obviously, there was some sadistic, for whatever reason, torture on the front end. Maybe a vendetta. Maybe right. it was just sick fetish or sick enjoyment for him. But I'm just saying, with a lot of these killers we've talked about, there is this whole displaying of... To them, it's not an act of violence. To them, it's a like almost like it's artwork. Yeah, it, it's an art to them. They're presenting this masterpiece of theirs. Um, it is highly um, spec. Well, everybody thinks she was strangled. She wasn't strangled, and I see even online on these reputable sites that she was strangled. She absolutely wasn't strangled. Um, the more I go, especially the medical examiner's report and. In a few of the books I read, there were marks from being bound on her legs, neck, wrists, and thighs. Um, but all of the bones, you have very small bones in mm-hmm. your neck. All of them were intact. Yeah, normally, I was going to say, normally, like... the hyoid bone, that usually, in most cases, in strangulation, it cracks or fractures. So I was, was going to say... And it was perfectly intact. When you're talking about strangulation, it's pretty easy to... Not easy to tell, but if you know what you're looking at, like obviously those bones break. Right. There's possible crushing or damage to you know their windpipe, the trachea, mm-hmm. uh, and the bruising alone is different than if your hands are bound, unless your hands are bound like ridiculously tight. Tight. Yeah. It's going to leave an indentation or impression of whatever, even if it's thick rope, it's still going to leave an indentation and impression into the skin, like uh, a deep one. The official cause of death, um, according to the medical examiner, was shock and hemorrhage. So cut in half. It, it was well that was done post mortem. Okay. The um bisection. They think that the injury she received to her face, the Glasgow smile, it is what caused the massive amount of blood loss. She also had a few um abrasions like on her forehead that were indicative of her being struck with a heavy object like a bat or something. And he took her boot. Or was that post mortem? I'm not sure if that was post mortem or not, but it was, was blood loss. If that wasn't post mortem, that Ooh. could easily be the reason why you hemorrhage to death. But, can I mean, she was tortured and she suffered. Tortured. This was not a strangled and then a, you know, defaced body. This wasn't body. I walked by you on the street, no. stabbed you, choked you. This was personal. She yeah. knew him, in my opinion. Um, the, That's what it felt like when you talked about feces in the stomach. Yeah. It almost comes like, it's torture, but it's almost, it almost, for me, in my mind, it immediately went to like vengeance personal. of some sort. Very personal. The medical examiner believed she had been dead about 10 hours before she had been found based on the body's core temperature they did that back then i didn't know that they did the rectal temperature to determine how long i thought that was a recent thing but it's not uh, i don't know if they do it the same way but no. they definitely they can also do the temperature of the liver i think there's, there's a few of them there's temperature there's those temperatures there's depending on the liver ptosis or whatever it was you call it, the pulling of the blood liver mortis the, liver mortis yeah there's liver ptosis um it sounds painful yeah it does right? but i mean there's definitely <laughs> nowadays there's definitely way more ways to determine right. time oh time absolutely okay so how did the black dahlia get the name how did elizabeth short get the name black dahlia wasn't it i want to take a shot at this because i can't remember if i'm right or not 
wasn't didn't actually have to do with she she had like a wasn't it jewel, like a piece of jewelry no. or something like that? There's no one answer. Oh, okay. I'll put it that way. I don't know why I thought of that? No, maybe a flower in her hair. That's what it is. That's what it is. Um, so few people nowadays know the name Elizabeth Short. Just like you were like, I can't, I don't know her real name. Well, she's famous for being the Black Dahlia. But everyone knows the name the Black Dahlia. So how did the nickname come to be? This was during the time of yellow journalism, which the press would use shock factors and over the top headlines. Wait, they don't do that now? <laughs> it was it was pathetic back then. Listen to some of these headlines. Yeah, because it's the same thing now. You put CNN and Fox News next to each other, and you can oh, literally yeah. just laugh for 20 minutes. Uh, not much has changed, I guess. But some of these headlines during the time I just thought were weird, I guess to say the least. Sad, uh, uh, degrading are words that come to mind. Here's one by none other than the examiner. Sex fiend slaying victim identified by fingerprint re- records of FBI. Sex fiend slaying victim? <laughs> and oh then, my lord. Uh, girl, tortured and slain, hacked nude body found in LA. <laughs> that sounds like something you would see on what is it, like the National Enquirer? Yeah, like three, or the star. Three-legged baby dog alien's sister chupacabra. flew into town this week. Like <laughs> The chupacabra. Uh, the newspaper quickly started referring to Elizabeth as the Black Dahlia. Um after her death as a play on words since just nine months prior to her murder, the movie The Blue Dahlia had just been released. Also, Elizabeth was known to always wear black and she had black hair. Some members of the press claimed that they gave her the nickname because of Elizabeth's love for black lace lingerie, which I doubt this is true because they didn't know. Uh, The press were just creeps and gross at the time. Some other accounts said that her friends had nicknamed her Black Dahlia long before she was found dead because of her black hair and the and that she loved to wear black. So I'm over here on the Google while you're telling these possible ideas for why she got the name. You know what a Black Dahlia symbolizes? Hmm. Friendship between two, or a connection between two people, which goes back to the theory, I'm just tying things together maybe, that it was someone she knew. I think it was the movie. Was the movie? The Blue Dahlia, because it was so popular back then. I was just looking and it up. And it was a murder said, mystery. It said in Victorian era is the Black Dahlia. Yeah, that could, be, a, a that could be it too. People. I don't think the Which press is, was that smart, though. I don't know. They've come up with some crazy things and names for people yeah, that true. were fa- fantastic. The names were, not what these people did, like the Candyman and stuff like that. The Candyman's a good name. The last time Elizabeth was seen alive, that's... Um, the first thing investigators always want to do in a murder case is determine where the victim was last seen and who she was there with. So it's what you do. So police questioned a man by the name of Robert Red, also known as Red Manley, a former army musician turned salesman who was married. So he was married and claimed to be just friends with Elizabeth, nothing more. I don't believe that. Well, just he's claiming saying. that because he doesn't have his wife to find out you know, Yeah. extra the side piece. Um, by the way, his name is Red because he has red hair, if you didn't guess that. Red said he'd driven Elizabeth from San Diego to Hollywood on January 8th. Uh, the next day, she asked him to take her to the Biltmore Hotel to meet her sister, Virginia, who, by the way, lived in Oakland, so she got to visit her often. He dropped her off around 6 p.m. that evening and Elizabeth was spotted making phone calls in the lobby, and no one is known to have seen Elizabeth alive after that. She was said to be wearing a black suit with a cardigan-style sweater, a white fluffy blouse, suede high heels, and gloves. So, 
we're going to kind of get into the investigation now. Um, but before that, <laughs> the murderer contacted the police inadvertently. He was toying with them. These dudes have so much ego, it's not even, it's not even funny. Within a week of the body's discovery, the killer sent the Herald Examiner a letter that was cut and pasted together so his handwriting couldn't be identified. You know the type, the old ransom letters. With um, yeah, cut out of 10 different magazines. Yeah, exactly. You've seen the type of letters I'm talking about. The letter said something along the lines of, and I quote, I will give up on Dahlia killing if I get 10 years, period. Don't try to find me. Wow. This could have come from anyone, right? So how did the police know that this was from the killer? Well, in the same packet that the letter came in, um, he sent many of Elizabeth's personal documents, including her social security card, along with some of her personal clothing, and an address book with the names of various suitors in her hand, in her handwriting. So this was obviously the killer, or at least someone close to her pretending to be, which why would they do that? So. Exactly. So... By February 25th, police were considering, and I don't know why they didn't consider this sooner, they were considering that Elizabeth's killer could be in the medical field. Like, duh. <laughs> Everything was so precise and clean. Yeah, surgically cut in half, yeah. body drained. And cutting through, when you cut a body in half, there are organs to account for. There are... Spine. Yeah, spine, bones. I mean, you have to have a, have a bone saw to get that yeah, back. Or some, yeah, of, something enough to do it cleanly. Yeah, like that, absolutely. Because yeah. everything was clean. Before, um, and you have to drain the blood. So it has to be indoors and you have to have somewhere you can drain it and wash it. Well, get rid of it. I mean, you don't just keep a bathtub full of blood. No. Hope you don't. Well, yeah. <laughs> you shouldn't. <laughs> Please don't. Before uh, that, they were focusing on her man friends only, of course. Oh, because it's probably, they, they probably thinking scorned scorn lover. Oh, absolutely. Especially if they're talking about possible, you know. Which? Sexual assault, yeah. you know, anal and vaginally. They're, they're talking possible sexual assault. They're talking torture, so screams vengeance. Who, who are you going to really immediately go after? So a medical professional actually makes perfect, perfect sense to me uh, for a couple of reasons. Here's why. Uh, kind of going over more in depth of what we just spoke about. They surmise the murder uh, had to have been committed indoors where the killer had access to drains and running water at mm -hmm. least, at the very least. Absolutely. Because there was no blood found at the scene, and the body had been washed clean. I mean, her hair was even scrubbed and shampooed. Uh, so they had to have a place to drain the blood and wash the body, in other words. Also, the cuts dissecting Elizabeth's body were precise and clean. That pointed to someone who had experience with anatomy, because it does take experience with anatomy to do that. Uh, so, they had to, so they went to University of California, and they asked the university to turn over a list of their medical and dental students. Um, the university fought back at first, said, no, that's an invasion of privacy. But the police were like, look, we're not going to, and it's not, they held true to their word. The list was kept private. Nothing, even if, you know, the name was found on it, nobody would ever know. Yeah. And with the amount of press that was all over this, right. I'm sure the school was like, Hey, we no, don't want our kids getting out no. there, especially when mm -hmm. they didn't do anything. Uh, so 300, only 300 names. Uh, were searched through the FBI fingerprint database. That was the whole medical school. There were no fingerprints available for 28 of the students, and there were many who had non-criminal records for their fingerprints. Like, for instance, I once had to get fingerprinted for a job. So, mm -hmm. Only three individuals had criminal records out of the 300, but it was nothing that would have tied them to the murder. Um, so that was ultimately a dead end. 
Remember I said that uh, at the time of her death, she was living at a hotel with two other girls? Mm -hmm. Well, one of those girls, Dorothy French, told reporters at the Examiner, a local paper that was awful, that Elizabeth had stored a trunk at a train station in L.A. Like a whole ass moving trunk at a train station, I guess in a locker. Uh, So the newspaper, being the silly... Slimy weasels that they are. Oh, they went and searched for it and probably stole it or some shit. No, they went to police and said, hey, your murder victim, she has a trunk. And um, she, she stores it at the train station and we know where it is. We'll tell you the location if you agree to give us what's in it. Like, tell us what's in it so we can print it. And then police said, all right, bet. <laughs> I'd say that too. And when it comes time, I'd be like, uh, no, go away. Nothing. But it wasn't. Really anything. There was no smoking gun, per se, so it was kind of another Just dead Just a bunch end. of keepsakes or a bunch of stuff that could have mean nothing well, or something? you know, she, she did, she had a lot of male suitors. So in it were personal items, lots of clothes, and many letters, letter, letters, letters from boyfriends. Really no smoking gun, but there were photos of Elizabeth with various men. So police started putting names and faces together. Okay. Okay, this is important. But there was one identified man... He eventually uh, would be identified, and we'll get to him in a minute, because this is a conspiracy theory surrounding the case involving him. I can't say I buy this theory, but it is such a fun deep dive, and I had never heard it before until I started digging into this case, and I think you're going to love it. Okay, so just hold on to that. Unidentified man, a picture of her and him in the trunk. So... um. The body was found on January 15th, right? Well, on the 19th, the FBI received a very strange letter written by a man who claims his name is Arthur Strange. Obviously a fake name. Uh, Or maybe not. Maybe not. In the letter, Strange took it upon himself to give the FBI a sort of profile of the killer. Very weird to get from a civilian. Even though they didn't ask him for it, but they got it. Remember, he's just some random guy. <laughs> yeah, but that, that brings me to the idea that there's, they're probably getting so much stuff. Oh, yeah. The, the fanatical, fanaticism Fanat- yeah. that surrounds this case. They are probably getting everything you can imagine from people claiming to be the killer to people trying to do what this guy's doing and say, hey, I think this person did it this way or some yeah. whack job doctor is trying to be the medical examiner from Texas or whatever. Oh, absolutely. He said that the killer was a white ex-Marine, 28 to 30 years old, with red hair, 5'10", of Irish and English descent, 160 pounds, like very specific. <laughs> How does he get of Irish I know. and English descent? I know. Descent? That's what I'm saying. He is strange. He holds true to his name. So, Strange told police to check all camps and hospitals in California. Well, police, when it, when you hear red hair, who does that make you think of? Red. Okay. So... Police and he's found. Mm-hmm, he was ex marine, I think. I thought you said army. Was he army? Uh, police found that this random description somewhat matched Robert Red Manley. It's unknown if this strange dude was ever interviewed or vetted. Or so it was another again. dead end, but it's a, a, Just a weird point coincidence. that I needed to it's make. A little, it's a little coincidental. Um, really, everything is ultimately a dead end in this case, well, if you think about it, because it's unsolved. So, But some things, like you said, like that's a little coincidental that some random dude sends a letter in and says, Hey, the dude's ex-military, blah, 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 red hair, blah, blah, blah. Don't you worry, though, because I'm going to tell you who did it. 
Or at least who I think did it. I was about to say, you can tell me who did it. You can tell me who I feel did like it. I can. I'm pretty, I'm pretty certain. Okay, another letter was written. This is crazy. Uh, this time by Edith R. Thomas. And she sent a letter to J. Edgar Hoover. Like, the J. Edgar Hoover. Right, well, this is about the time when the FBI was really yep. first starting out, and he Hoover was, was running it and doing all his things. Yeah, he was FBI director at this time. Collecting all the secrets on the rest of the world, the blackmail of the world, and then, uh, you know. Her typed note stated that she believed the murder investigation was being neglected by police and even accused the LAPD of per- purposefully stalling the investigation, which I completely 110% agree with, along with my theory. She said that she had a ter- she heard a terrible racket coming from the fourth floor of her apartment building on Figueroa Street in L.A. on January 4th. Elizabeth was found on the 15th, 14th. So on January 14th, she heard the racket, and Elizabeth was found on the 15th. Sorry, I get excited. So, um, and <laughs> I got a question on this one because this brings me back to yes, again, every other yes. case. Ask away. So this person heard this tremendous racket. Why didn't you call the damn cops? She did. Okay. Let me finish. Okay, I'm just making because no one else calls the cops when they have when she they did. hear. You're right. Terrifying screams and I, tremendous and ba- noises. And I was thinking that until I read that what she did. Okay, cool. Okay, so a man named. Um, sorry, you made me lose my place. I know. I do that. That's what I'm here for. Actually. You're fired. <laughs> you can't fire me. I'm not getting paid. I know that's true. <laughs> You're getting paid in love. Okay, so. Um, that would have been the night of her murder that she heard this rack, racket. Um, so the resident of the apartment that she heard the racket in, a man named Mr. Hawkins, also known as the old policeman. The old policeman. By um, He was known that by the residents of the building. He was a retired L.A. police officer. Okay. Apparently, he was yelling obscenities at a woman, and she heard a woman screaming. The police were called. And dozens of officers descended onto the scene. Incredibly, this letter goes on to state that the police took a blood-covered Hawkins from the scene, Mr. Hawkins, and an ambulance came to get a body. A woman who was all cut up, she said, around her mouth and mutilated. That description matches Elizabeth. Thomas did not believe the police were going to do anything about it and nearly insinuated that the body was dumped by police and that this was a cover-up. This is shocking. Uh, yeah, what they did? Would the ambulance cut her in half before they dumped her? The ambulance? You said an ambulance was sent to pick her up. No, she said the body was mutilated. Well, I mean, the body was covered, so she wouldn't have seen that it was cut in half. Because oh. she can't. She's not, they're not going to haul out two pieces of a naked body. Back then, they're going to be in a body bag or something. So, Hoover, I think this is kind of funny but sad, but I'm not surprised. Hoover wrote back and simply said, I appreciate your information and signed his name. That's all he said. What is he supposed to say? We will look heavily into this police conduct. Well, he could have said that. You know what I mean? Well, okay. Think about the time frame. I know, I know. What year are we in right now? 47. 1947, when was Public Enemy number one? What year was that set at? When was Dillinger? Um, He was before this. Was he? Mm-hmm. I think. Hey, don't jump too far ahead because you're going to touch on a lot of what I'm going to touch on at the end of this, okay? Okay. Calm, calm yourself. Yeah, you're right. This is about, this is about 
10 years after John Dillinger's in her mind. So, oddly, case files and nudes clippings don't seem to make the connection. But Thomas's apartment building and an apartment building where Elizabeth had been living at in 1946, the year prior, they were literally just, like, spitting distance of each other. So, completely fathomable. Um, I couldn't find anything about this lead being followed through with. Of course, it's so annoying. Like, this kind of stuff literally keeps me up all night. Don't tell me this and then not say what was done about it, you know? But, um... Again... You know, this is 100 years later. How many of these things were they getting? Can you really, really, like the, the profile of this case, they were probably getting hundreds, if not thousands. Of, right. How many can you actually follow up when you really kind of single in on like right. a handful that really have potential? So 16 years prior to Elizabeth's murder, a serial killer had been running rampant in San Diego for years. The first of the offenses was the rape and murder of a 10-year-old girl in February of 1931. Jesus. Um, yeah, it was pretty bad. Three more women were murdered that year. Two raped and killed, and another was stabbed 17 times. I, I guess she lived because it didn't say that she died. Um, the San Diego killer waited three years before striking again, which is unusual to see, I think. And uh, then he killed another four times. He took a three-year hiatus. Maybe he had kids. Wait, wait, maybe it is unusual it's not, but at the same time, a lot of the killers, they take breaks. Like, they're trying to control these urges BTK. they have. And then they stop because they think they've satisfied them, and then those urges ultimately come back later. Well, what we saw with BTK, not to get off topic, um, he took a hiatus while he raised his young kids, and then once they got older and school age, that's when he went back to doing it. It was life changes. So, I mean, you never know. Um, so, this was ultimately... Another dead end because no connection was ever made, of course. And all the murders remain unsolved to this day. I'm just really taking you through the FBI case file. This is all leads that the FBI and Sheriff's Department and LAPD, they all... I like it, though, because I like when you go into the details on some of the things. Because the way my mind thinks is I'm trying to think, like, what would I be doing if I was working this? Mm Mm-hmm. Um... Like, is this a lead I would chase after, or is this one I'd probably do the same thing in the data and be like, maybe it's something, but mm, I have no idea. I can't wait for you to hear the stats on the cops that were involved in this and how many investigators they had at the end of this. You're, you're going to be shocked, and you'll be like, yeah, something was fishy. Something fishy was definitely going on. Okay, so here's the fun part. I'm going to take you through all of the suspects that were officially listed in the case file. So one in particular... I told you before, I am convinced is the murderer. I'll let you know who and see what you think. You ready, Pat? I'm ready. Okay, we know this. Robert Red Manley. He was arrested on, he was actually arrested on January 19th in connection with the murder. And his car was impounded by authorities because it had been seen dropping Elizabeth off last she was seen. Manley, he was a married man who was seeing Elizabeth on the side. Manley's wife and father both confirmed that Manley was home the night of the murder. Uh, he also insisted on taking a polygraph test, which, no, they're not admissible in court, but it's a good indicator, right, on if you're lying or not a lot of the time. If he, no, took, two, if he took two and passed him with flying colors, I It's really hard to believe that he's he lying that well. Yeah, I, I doubt he did. You know, he's a master manipulator oh, liar. Oh, absolutely. Or, or he probably had nothing to do with it. Right. And most people that are innocent happily will say, hey, give me a polygraph. 
Right. Because I'm going to prove to you, even if it wasn't admissible in court, they're still going to say, hey, I'll prove to you on this that I'm, I'm not lying. And he didn't lawyer up either. He didn't. He knew he didn't. That usually, that usually right there tells you that either they're extremely arrogant or they're not guilty. Even if I was innocent, I tell you right now, I will lawyer up. If I'm going to be questioned, I will lawyer it up. It's the smartest thing to do. I will. I will. I'm going to profess the hell out of my innocence. <laughs> I will too, but... But if they start asking me questions that they're trying to like push it towards me or like... Oh, then... Hey, where's my lawyer at? Yeah, I'm not saying a word. So Peter Vetcher, um, he's the next suspect on our list. Army Sergeant Peter Vetcher emerged as a suspect when police found his name in the Elizabeth's address book. You remember the address book they found in her trunk? Her smash book? <laughs> her little black book. Oh my god. No, you didn't. And it's, it's, and it's, I mean, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to her being a victim of these crimes, but it basically said she was always taking pictures and seeing all these dudes as so she's got an address book. They don't have cell they don't have cell phones or Tinder profiles. That does not make the smash. <laughs> I hate you, you're such an idiot. It's her smash book. I'm sorry. How am I going to get through this? As an added twist, police believe that Vetcher and Elizabeth had been married. Um, because she had signed her name as Elizabeth Short Vetcher at the end of a few letters. So it was her smash book. These two were seeing each other and she really liked him a lot. Because nobody, like you, you as a girl growing up when you had a crush or something like that, would you ever write your name with somebody else's last name? Like, oh, when you're like 12 or 15 or something like that. Almost every girl's done it, I think. I'm thinking out loud. Yeah. I liked I like serial killers. It does not surprise me if you were signing crap <laughs> Courtney Bundy or I don't want to, I don't like him in that way. <laughs> Courtney Gacy when you were when you were Oh kid. gross. No. <laughs> Yuck. Okay. Um it this was later proven to be just a joke. They were never married. She was just yeah, it was like you said. She was just flirting with the idea. But that, that leads me to believe that there was some kind of relationship there. There was some intimacy because she yeah. was flirting with the idea of putting her name with his. So that's like a Vetcher reportedly contacted authorities on his own as well after uh, he heard of Elizabeth's murder to see if he could be of any assistance. So he was an honorable dude, I think. You no, know, a lot of the people that are just decent people, decent human they beings are. that care about what happened, they're going to be calling me like, first of all, my name is probably all over a bunch of her stuff. And my next line here is, also, he knew his name would come up in her address book, so he wanted to get ahead of it, I like, think. First of all, <laughs> I'm not the guy. You're going to find my name a few places. Also, I want to help you because that was my friend. Right, exactly. Or my... I was in her smash book or whatever. <laughs> I, was, I was Mr. Tuesday, whatever whatever he was. Oh, my gosh. Uh, he said that the last time he saw her um, was when they went on a double date on September 21st. And after dinner, Elizabeth went into the lobby and he saw her arguing with a short, chunky, but well-dressed man between 40 to 45 years old. He doesn't know anything about this man or even what they were arguing about. It was later found... That on the night that Elizabeth was killed, Vetcher was in Anniston, Alabama, so he couldn't have committed the murder. So he obviously didn't do it. It's like a gl- game of Clue at this point. You're, you're not it. killing somebody in, in L.A. while you're earlier that day in Alabama in 1940. Uh, this is this one's kind of crazy, I guess. Um, two years after the mur- the next guy on her. Suspect list. Two years after the murder, LAPD psychologist. I'm gonna butcher this name. Butcher. I'm gonna boot. Oh my goodness! Having a stroke here. You're gonna butcher. I'm gonna. You're butchering butcher. I'm gonna 
You're gonna mess his name up. You're gonna mess the name up. I'm gonna screw it up. You're screwing up the word butcher more than the name, probably. Okay, doctor, his psychologist for LAPD, Doctor J. Paul DeRiver, D E R I V E R, DeRiver, right? Okay, DeRiver received a letter from 27-year-old bellhop Leslie Dillon. Dillon, who previously lived in LA, he was writing from Florida, by the way. He moved to Florida, and he wrote Dr. DeRiver about possibly collabing and writing a book about the Black Dahlia case, since he's an aspiring true crime author. We always get these kooks, right? It was reported... I'm just looking at you because you're calling them kooks because they're aspiring true crime Well, I'm not going to contact... (laughs) I'm not going to contact, like, in an active investigation and be like, I'm writing a book. I'm, an, I'm like an inspire, aspiring Anne Rice. You know, I'm not going to do that. That's just disrespectful. It was reported <laughs> that in the letter, Dylan displayed way too much knowledge about the murder. Things, in fact, that only the murderer would know, not even the vulture press knew. That's usually how it works. Uh, the Washington News called him the best suspect yet, actually, following his arrest in January of 1949. So glad the Washington News was happy with the choice. Prior to his arrest, an undercover officer and Dr. DeRiver met with Dylan in San Francisco, where Dylan named his friend Jeff Connors as the one true murderer. It was quickly determined that Connors was just a figment of Dylan's imagination. So Dylan apparently was suffering from some mental issues, some mental decay here. Dylan was apparently suffering from some mental decay, I think. He was ultimately released from prison after being considered by a grand jury, but and he was never even indicted because his case was purely circumstantial. By 1951, Dylan's name no longer even appeared on the list of suspects. So I don't think this guy did it. Um, he was just a struggling guy looking for his 15 minutes, you know? That's my thoughts on him. Okay. Uh, Mark Hansen. Some theorized that Mr. Mark Hansen, who immigrated from Denmark in 1919, was the killer. In L.A., he was a hotshot, and he owned several nightclubs and theaters where Elizabeth had frequented. Uh, Actress Anne Toth and Elizabeth had reportedly shared a room in a hotel near Hansen's Florentine Gardens nightclub, which was a popular night spot at the time. Yeah, And one of the women... One of so either Anne or Elizabeth was dating Hanson, although it's not known officially which one. Which one? I think it was Elizabeth because Elizabeth had mentioned to Toth that Hanson was a jealous man with a bad temper. She also said that she had to reject his sexual advances several times, which he did not like. So maybe they weren't romantic or anything. He maybe just, he just he wanted to be, but she didn't want to be. Hanson last saw Elizabeth. He said uh, on December sixth. 1946, when they went to dinner and then to a hotel. The night went poorly, and he said Elizabeth cried. And when she left, she said she was going to see her sister Virginia in Oakland. He claimed that they spoke on the phone a time or two, but he didn't see her after that night. Hansen had no criminal record and was never physically violent by any account. In a strange turn of events, Hansen was unfortunately murdered in 1949 by a jealous lover, Lola Titus. She was jealous of his love for Elizabeth, even after her demise. 
So he was still obsessed with Elizabeth after. Yeah, that's a huge red flag. Long after Elizabeth died. So I don't, but I don't think he was a killer. I don't believe. I think he really, truly just loved her. Maybe, but it also still fits my theory from the beginning. It, you know, it's vengeance. It sounds like a, a crime of passion. In a lot of ways, it sounds like someone very connected with her. And if this guy's not getting what he wants from her for all those years, right? Fits sexual assault, fits the rage, and then he's still in love with her or obsessed with her. Maybe mm-hmm. years later, that he actually gets murdered over it. Right? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's definitely the strongest, I think, so far. Also, funny, it said Lola Titus, the lady who murdered him, was a dancer as well as a taxi cab driver. <laughs> okay, next we're gonna talk about Doctor. We're getting into some doctors now, guys. Dr. Patrick O'Reilly. Dr. O'Reilly was a friend of Mark Hansen's and frequently spent time at uh, Florentine Gardens nightclub. So, as I was saying, Dr. O'Reilly was a friend of Mark Hansen's and frequently spent time at Florentine Gardens nightclub. He was rumored to enjoy... Cut. So, Patrick O'Reilly, MD. Dr. O'Reilly was a friend of Mark Hansen's and... Frequently spent time at Florentine Gardens nightclub, as everyone did, apparently. Apparently. Uh, he was rumored to enjoy wild sex parties in Malibu, which is not a crime. Just say, putting that out there. Do your thing, man. Let your uh, freak as long fly. as it's consensual. Um, according to DA Files, he had super violent tendencies, which is not good, and had been convicted of assault with a deadly weapon after he took his secretary to a hotel and beat her for no other reason, this is a quote, for no other reason than to satisfy his sexual desires without intercourse. What? Well, there's my <sighs> new dude. Well, it's like that one guy we covered that basically got off hurting them. Yeah, it was the pain. Yeah. Also, O'Reilly's right pectoral muscle had been removed. Sound familiar? No. He, had he killed Elizabeth and maybe hinted at his identity when he removed her or to make her even to him I don't think this is our guy and police didn't either I think he's an asshole but there's nothing directly tying him to we don't even know that they ever met no the other Hanson's definitely more of a strong there's 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 a relationship in this passion of this crime of passion that's happened there's a there's a connection at least the next guy um Dr. George Hill Hodel so, Dr. Hodel Jr., who specialized in sexually transmitted diseases and public health, came under police scrutiny when his teenage daughter came forward accusing him of raping her in 1949. So, two years later. Authorities even placed Hodel under surveillance at one point in 1950. I'm assuming for the rape. Why did they wait? Well, we just have a year. We don't have well, a Well, she came forward in 1949. Yeah, it could have been like November and in 1950, January, they put over surveillance. Uh, it wasn't clear as to exactly why he was placed under surveillance. Um, but he apparently <clears throat> made several incriminating statements in the microphone. He would allude to illegal abortions, police bribery, and many references to murder. So maybe that's why they brought him in and they're like, hey, this guy kind of fits the bill. Mm-hmm. Now let's put him under surveillance. He said, and I quote, Supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia, they couldn't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary anymore because she's dead. Anyway, they have it figured out now. Killed her. Maybe I killed my secretary too. So, Hodel's secretary, Mrs. Ruth Spaulding, she was an elderly woman who mysteriously died of a drug overdose. Never any history of drugs. 
1945 this happened. That was before the Black Dahlia. Before the Black Dahlia. Um, no, I'm sorry, I misspoke. It's in 1947. Reportedly um, wanting to come forward with information regarding the Dahlia murder is oh. when she... So she wanted to say something OD'd. and end up dead. <clears throat> Dr. Hodel, I mean, sorry, Steve Hodel, George's son... And is actually, or is actually now, Steve Hodel, this is so interesting, Steve Hodel, George's son, uh, is actually a former LAPD homicide detective. He authored an amazing book, which I highly recommend, called Black Dahlia Avenger, A Genius for Murder. In it, he claims his father had killed Elizabeth as well as several other women over the course of 20 years. I think I remember this part of the story. Hodel died in 1999, and as soon as that man was put in the ground, Steve came public with these claims. Um, That's right. Didn't he have pictures or something like that? Right. So among Hodel's personal items, Steve found photos of George, his dad, with an unidentified woman who bears uncanny resemblance to Elizabeth. Okay. This is crazy. In 2004, the LAPD announced that all, all of the physical evidence in the Black Dahlia case was missing. Gone. Gone. 2004 is also when DNA really took off. Like, they could... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, just odd, right? The evidence, which would have consisted of Elizabeth's address book... All the personal items that the killer mailed, that could have been swabbed and tested against Steve, against, you know, to compare uh, the familiar familial DNA. Or George. Well, George was dead. At That's that what I'm point. saying. It could have been used to compare against George. Yeah, but you, Steve. Yeah. Familiar, familial yeah, DNA. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah to get George. Right. And they could have closed his case, but we lost all of our evidence. So it's infuriating. Uh, and how the hell does evidence just disappear? <laughs> Especially know. in a case as huge as this one. Well, you also got to think, you don't know what is going on, right? Like, this has been the same evidence room for 50 years? Or did, were they changing buildings? Were they changing evidence rooms? Not in LA. This stuff was probably in the back of the back of the back of the evidence room. I think this is very indicative of... The timing is just superb. I'm just throwing what ifs. I'm just saying... You're yeah. playing devil's advocate. Playing, sure. yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm and playing both sides of the story, yeah, but it's definitely really to. odd that... The uh, timing, 2004 is almost to the year where... Why didn't it disappear in 94 if they moved buildings then? Or exactly. if they moved buildings in 62, why didn't it move then and disappear? Why is it right when you know the internet becomes a thing? So now we can send all these things to FBI and get it back in the day. We can, you know, pictures and all these, you know what I mean? Like, it's right. a real... 2004, the internet, DNA, like you said, it's all rolling. It's rolling now. So, in 2014, this is very interesting as well. Um, Hodel lived in the Sauter House in L.A., I believe it's called. It's a big L.A. murder house. Uh, Wasn't so, it named after him? No, it, it was called the Sauter House, and it was called something else before that. But we'll get into it. Oh, okay. At the end, I'll touch on it. Okay. Um, in 2014, there were soil analysis tests um, completed at the home Hodel lived in. From 1945 to 1950, so during the time that Elizabeth was murdered, the soil samples actually tested positive for human remains. So that's not to say that it tested positive for Elizabeth's human remains, but definitely murders had happened and bodies were buried. Body. Yeah, I was going to say, or dead bodies in the soil. Multiple. Yeah. Um, definitely something to look into, right? So 
when Steve's book was published, D.A. Stephen K. Um, stated that if George Hodel was still alive, he'd charge him. He'd charge him like with Elizabeth's murder. There's more than enough to point He'd be to, indicted. More than enough. Like, more than enough to charge him. Getting a conviction, it's going to be a little harder. Shockingly enough, Steve Hodel went on to link his father to other killings, even theorizing that he could be the Zodiac Killer. I remember killer. that. I do remember that. We watched a documentary yeah, we on did. it. We watched that. I remember that now. Um, this is who I believe murdered Elizabeth, without a doubt. I feel like they even had a confession from him. They kind of did. They and did. Then, and then his son, who's an ex-homicide detective, believe. comes up and was like, no, this dude did it. Like, my dad did it. I do, now, this is not like... And then he finds pictures. This is not his son like you have a son. Steve Hodell had many women, got many women pregnant. He had 11 children all around. So this, I'm not saying he was close to his dad, but he knows his dad, you know? But he know, to even even if he's not close to his dad, to come out and be like definitive, be like, that's the dude. Look at these other people he killed. Like, that says something. Like, he right. really believed that. He really, truly believed it. And it's hard to believe when you think about the photos showing up and all these things that he just, just pops up in. And he was a homicide detective. No, I'm talking about his dad. Yeah. Like, photos that with an unidentified woman that bared mm-hmm. an uncanny resemblance. Okay, so just say it's her. Right. And the backlash he must have faced from the family as the well. The family was probably like, what are you doing, dude? Also, Steve is a big proponent that there was a cover-up. With the police involved, that his father was involved, but his father was very wealthy and a renowned figure head in LA, so that there was a cover up yeah. between the LAPD, Sheriff's Department, all no, that. Not surprising. Okay, moving on. Walter Bailey, Dr. Dr. Bailey, lived in the home just south of the empty lot where Elizabeth's body was discovered. So there was an empty lot where a house was to be built, and mm-hmm. that's where her body was found. Right. Right across the street was Walter Bailey's house. Okay. In fact, this is the house that Mrs. Uh, Betty Bursinger ran to use the phone at. Okay. Makes sense. Right. But um, he lived there until he divorced his wife in October before Elizabeth's body was found. So when Elizabeth died, he was gone. And his wife still lived there, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, he was a suspect because his daughter is reportedly a good friend of Elizabeth's sister, Virginia, who lives in Oakland. Um, the same sister who was supposed to meet Elizabeth on January 9th when Peter Vetcher left her at the Biltmore. Okay. Bailey died uh, in 1948 of natural causes. It was revealed after his death that he had been long-suffering with a severe neurological deterioration, which I assume is probably dementia of the sort. That's what it sounds like. Alzheimer's. Um, Back then, they didn't have that a name, makes so, me, yeah. yeah, that makes me think he's not capable of such a heinous and well thought out. Yeah, crime. he died a year later, and he was suffering long from suffering. S- mm-hmm. some, like, yeah, like you said, long suffering. Long I mean, suffering. Years he's had this mental decline. I don't think he's capable of no. that level of detail. Maybe it was like a brutal killing with a shovel in the middle of the street or something. But. I didn't even want to write about him because I just think it's a slap in the face to still call him a suspect, but. That's just me. That's, just, that's you doing your due diligence like you do. And just, just covering all the suspects. Talking about everything. Okay, guys, here's the fun part. I don't believe this guy's a killer, but this is the wild theory that I was telling you about. Yeah, do you remember the picture? Do you remember the picture of, in the trunk, Elizabeth and the unidentified man? Yes. I told you to hold on to. Okay, here yes. we go. This is the wild theory I spoke about earlier that armchair detectives and true crime writers toss around so often. I was... Going to omit this, um, but it's too wild not to mention. No. No, this, <laughs> okay. is, this is the fun stuff. So the main idea of this theory is that Elizabeth was killed by a boyfriend 
and her murder was staged as a mockery of the famed uh, Suzanne Degnan murder case in Chicago, which is an awful crime, by the way. Degnan was only six. She was a six-year-old little girl when she was murdered by William Irons. It's, it truly deserves its own episode, and I'll add it to the lineup, but just know that's the basis of it. Okay. Okay, so anyways, uh, here's a theory in a nutshell, and this is a long shot, but just keep an open mind. The unidentified man in the photo found in Elizabeth's trunk is a man named Ed Burns, whom Elizabeth did date shortly before her death. I looked it up. He was in the Smashbook. Elizabeth, who spent a short amount of time in Chicago, remember when she was arrested Mm -hmm. for underage drinking and she went to Florida, then Chicago? Um, She was fascinated with the Degnan case. And she was even said to have gone around Chicago to various bars and telling people that she was a reporter from Boston and she would tell patrons at the bars all about the grisly details about the Degnan murder that she had read about in the paper. So she headed back to California to meet Ed Burns in LA. Ed had a few medical school credits actually from the University of California And by the way, it's unknown if member one police requested um, a list of medical students from the college. Okay. It's unknown if his name was on that list. Uh, Burns and Elizabeth often met in Hollywood, according to this theory. And Burns was obsessed with Elizabeth, but she did not feel the same. The whole rumor implies, I'm not saying this is fact, by the way, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to her. Um, But this rumor implies that Elizabeth only used Mr. Burns for his money. Uh, Her rejection caused him to snap. So he did to Elizabeth what Irons did to the Degnan victim. Both, get this, this is where it gets crazy, okay? Almost Both were cut into pieces. Both had their bodies well cleaned and drained. There was mutilation involved. And this is the kicker. Both victims were made to consume It's a very weird coincidence. I'll admit that this is oddly coincidental. Pretty rare to see two perpetrators during the same time frame. Unless you have a copycat. Both force their victims to consume feces. Well, it's not just consuming feces. They're they're forced to consume feces. They're mutilated. They're positioned the same way. They're drained. They're cleaned. Mm -hmm. Like, there's too many things to look at and go, huh, that's weird. Whoa, that's weird. Whoa, that's weird. That's when you look at it and you're like, okay, that's... Oddly weird. This is a theory, though. Like, a very loose theory, I think. No, well, I mean, it's, there's no none of it's, factual basis none behind None of it. it's verifiable, but it's, yeah. But it's circumstantial looking at it going, that is and too what is, much the same. what is so frustrating about cases like this is I can go and look at, you know, files and stuff that are more recent, with the, even within the last decade or so, and you can find people that are still alive and still want to talk about it and... You know, that, that's not the case with this case. Every Everyone's long gone, you know? Okay, so moving on. This is kind of a little bit of fun. Famous sex suspects. You're going to love this, Pat. Sure. Um, for whatever reason, gangster Benjamin Bugsy Siegel was suspected of the killing. What? <laughs> the reason was unclear. I assume, I assume it was just a rumor that got out of hand. They started, but, so they started putting on the big name crime yeah. mobs and crime bosses saying, hey, it must be them because they know they're killing everybody else. Okay, this one was crazy. 
I saw this a lot. Filmmaker Orson Welles. Orson Welles? Was named as a suspect, too, by a former short family member, or, sorry, family neighbor, who claimed that he had practiced the murder on mannequins who bore an identical resemblance to Elizabeth. So this is a, a funny side note. I'm going to interrupt you. I'm going to start doing this more because I'm starting to Google as we're talking, right? Because I don't know, I don't know much about Suzanne that you were talking about that was murdered by Degnan. by Irons. Mm-hmm. So I Google it, right? It couldn't have been him. Ed Burns? No, it couldn't have been William Irons. Because no, well, no, 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 no I didn't say it was William Irons. No, that's the conspiracy theory I thought. Mm-mm, Ed Burns did it and oh, framed okay. and, and said and tried to make it look like gotcha. the Jagnan murder. Okay, that makes sense because I was about to say on September, Oh, I see what you were saying. On September fifth, nineteen forty-six, William Irons was sentenced to three life sentences. In, oh yeah, no, he was found guilty. No, he confessed to it. But because she was so enthralled with the case, he killed her in a jealous rage, or when he snapped, and then made it look like a copycat. No, obviously that's what I said. Yeah, earlier I was saying. Yeah, copycat, I should have copycat. said copycat. I, I was saying said copycat. It. Okay, um, so back to the Orson Wells theory. Apparently, the neighbor reportedly uh, reportedly saw Wells and Elizabeth together, and pointed out that Wells had applied for a passport the same day the newspaper received the packet of Elizabeth's belongings, personal belongings, like the um, address book. Wells apparently went on to live in Europe for the next ten months. He was never officially named a suspect in the murder, by the way. So he was not on the FBI list. Um, also, folk singer Woody Guthrie, if you've heard of him. Have you heard of him? Yeah, I actually have. He was a potential suspect, although never formally listed. Uh, a 2004 biography on him said that Guthrie was scrutinized after sending explicit letters and newspaper clippings of Elizabeth's murder to a woman that he was stalking. But he was quickly cleared of any wrongdoing in the case. Yeah, I'm not... So those two are just... I don't even know why they're named as suspects. Like, because he They sent, weren't. It wasn't... It was just specula- widely speculated. Orson so, Welles was seriously looked at, though. But why? Because he got a passport? Because a neighbor saw them together. Well, and she saw her a, pra- him practicing. Does he frequent Medford, Massachusetts? I don't know. That's crazy. You don't know their relationship? Yeah, no. They could have been really close friends. They could have been whatever. Uh, he also... You know, he became famous in what? I think it was 1938 was when the War of the Worlds broadcast was, which was mm-hmm. what launched his... So you're telling me he's doing all these things in between, you know, right 19. 1984 in animal form? Nah. And he's murdering people and then probably going on a press tour? Don't buy it. I just don't buy it. I just don't understand why he was so scrutinized for it. Or looked at for it, I'm sorry. So, they also had a lot of idiots, and this happens so often in these high-profile cases. I'm the killer! Yeah. They had a lot of idiots come in and confess to the murder, too, including several women. They want the fame. I'm not sure, yeah, why innocent people confess to murder, but it's something I see often in many cases I look at. I'm not sure if it's something to garner attention or, or what. And I also have to point out uh, that between January of 1947... This is the stats I was talking about to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so January of 1947, when her body was found, yep. and the spring of the same year, 400 sheriff deputies and 250 California State Patrol officers tried to solve this crime. Mm-hmm. That is an unprecedented 650 investigators. It makes sense. And let me tell you why. And they still weren't able to solve it. Well, it makes sense. 
and one, those numbers are inflated, right? So every single person they had stand by a door or blocking the press True. or doing that, they count. They did the menial job. They count that. They count that. But that's a lot of manpower. But it is. But at the same time, it's like, it's, it's to save face because mm-hmm. of how public this is. Now, I'm sure they were looking for the killer. I'm not, I'm not denoting that. I'm not saying they weren't doing their jobs. But they're going to throw everything they can resource-wise just to save face. Right. So that like the press can sit there and say, oh, we're not, they're not really looking. No, we have 600 people looking at this case. Okay, never mind. I can't argue that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Steve Hodell, George Hodell's son, Dr. Hodell's son. The thinks, murderer's son. Yeah, he thinks that um, police are absolutely involved in a cover-up along with his father. Um, I have to agree with this. Pers- personally. Personally. Um, that they favorite. were, yeah, that they were trying to hide something at least. Maybe to he help got dirt on somebody, or maybe he was friends with somebody. I'm sure he donated thousands of dollars a month to the police or whatever back then. Oh, I'm sure he did. Um, probably if he, his son thinks he killed like multiple people. I am so. a huge fan of police, but let me tell you something. It is so funny. LAPD and and most of the huge crap, like um, the Night Stalker and. <laughs> Just drop the ball so much. You. And what I was going to say though is, you know, your theory of him donating mm-hmm. tons of money makes sense, right? Because he's this wealthy guy. He's yeah. super rich. He is, his son is connecting him to literally like 10 other murderers. Right. So why would you not donate money to keep people in your pocket? Absolutely. You know, bribery was a much more common back in those days with law enforcement. Not saying that law enforcement weren't. If honest, you are a serial killer, that is that's get the best close way to, do to it. the police, get rub close. shoulders with, and we'll see with with Edmund Kemper. He was BFFs with all the. He went and drank with them on the weekends. Keep your friends closer. Your enemies while bodies were in the car. That we will see. I'll I'll do Edmund Kemper one day. That's going to be like a seventeen hour episode. Well, um, <laughs> well, next episode is going to be a two parter. Pat will is finally allowing me to do a two parter, and I'm. So pumped. Um, um, you know, you're right on the two-parters. People aren't going to listen to a three-hour podcast, which was, you know, my theory. I'm shortchanging them if I just do an hour. I don't want you to shortchange them. I yeah. love the way you present these stories. Oh, thank you, babe. I think it's different than a lot of people. You go into a lot of detail. You, I know for a fact I see you do a lot of research. Mm-hmm. And I like the detail you go into. Even in this case, you're talking about, uh, you know, Orson Welles and these guys that weren't even remotely possible suspects, but you're bringing them up saying that like, it's just interesting to see. It's just interesting to see it. You're throwing things at. So I just, I love the way you do that. And I don't want you to cut it short, but I also, well, thank you. I also don't want people to sit there for four hours because most of us don't have the time. With that. Yeah. We don't want you to switch off and not hear all the fun details. Exactly. Um, okay. So LAPD says we're almost done to this day. They still get calls with information regarding the Black Dahlia case. Weekly, if not more. Sometimes sure daily. It's one of the most high-profile unsolved murders. It's, like, it's up there with Gotti. As of today, this case remains open and unsolved. Uh, Phoebe Short, remember? That's Elizabeth's mom. Mm-hmm. Who was put through the ringer by the press. Um, she eventually moved from Medford, Massachusetts to Oakland. Uh, to be near her daughter's grave site. So Elizabeth was buried in Oakland. Okay, so she moved there because she wanted to basically right. visit her, 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 her daughter. She wanted to be next to her daughter. Yeah, she wanted to be able to go see her. Her Elizabeth's gravestone, which I think is really sweet. It simply reads, Daughter Elizabeth Short, July 29th, 1924 to January 15th, 1947. 
Unfortunately, uh, Phoebe passed away in 1992. I say unfortunately, but that's a long life life. for her. Um, The site of Elizabeth's childhood home in Medford. It's now a freeway exit, but there is a memorial plaque that stands nearby erected in Elizabeth's honor by the Medford Historical Society in 1993. There are so many unanswered questions in this case and so many frustrations. I really don't think it's ever going to be solved. I really don't. I mean, I don't think it can be. It we don't be. have DNA. I mean, you're, you're talking about evidence went missing. It was made DNA's gone. certain that we will never solve it. Just about anybody that would have been around, involved, known her, met her, talked to her, influenced with her, unless they were a baby, they're probably deceased at this point. Yep. I'd really love to hear y'all's thoughts, though, on who y'all think committed this murder. I, I, I also think that we could do a whole episode on George Hodel. Yeah. And his murder mansion, because there is a whole family that lives in that house that he was in, if I'm not mistaking, the Sauter house that was murdered. I could be thinking of a different house, but I'm pretty sure he lives in the murder mansion in L.A. or lived there. So I will definitely put Dr. Hodel in the lineup, but I definitely recommend reading Steve Hodel's book. It is enthralling. I used it a lot for research. And, um, I just feel like I could do a whole episode on just that family, you know? No, you definitely could. And I definitely think that's the dude. Yeah. And then when, his, when his, well, I do. When you think about all the stuff we just talked about, like with his son connecting and all that stuff. So I definitely think it was him. Not or he's the, definitely like really high on the list. I thought that you would go for the conspiracy theory. What no. I don't either. I think it's too out there. Now, maybe part of that is true. Maybe this was you know, staged to look like that, maybe possibly to throw, you know, if there was no yeah. police involvement, maybe he did that to throw killer or throw police off saying, hey, like, it's a copycat, copycat. Mm-hmm. of Suzanne. But not necessarily Ed Burns. But it's not the, the yeah, he, that guy's in jail. So someone's mm-hmm. copycatting what he did. So maybe in his mind, he was like, it would be some kind of depraved person, not some upstanding citizen. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just one, if he's done multiple murders, he's obviously going to try to do things to throw cops off. But at the same time, he's going to try to, Take credit for what he's doing, like like most killers do with their little sarcastic puzzles or the yeah. Zodiac or all these guys. Absolutely. Uh, he definitely fits to me most likely. He admitted it. Yeah. He said, what are you going to do? Ask my, my secretary. She's dead, too. I killed her. Can you prove it? <laughs> okay, George. <laughs> and also, one of his daughters came forward, Steve's stepsister, and okay. said that she remembers seeing... Elizabeth in their home at some point. So there's another connection to add into it. Yeah. You know, it's just all, it's all hearsay, but also is it, you know, is it really, (laughs) is it really, but yeah, I really want to, I want to hear what you guys think. And also if y'all are willing to sit through an episode on George Hodel and his murder mansion, well, you say the words murder mansion, everybody's interested. It's like talking yeah. about it's like talking about the murder hotel in, in Chicago during the World's Fair with um man, I cannot for the life of me think of his name. In Chicago? H. H. Holmes? H. H. Holmes. America's yeah. first serial killer, as they say. The one that was supposedly thought to be Jack the Ripper. He was America's first known serial killer. He was also he in the same kind of circumstances, he's very much thought to be the Ripper. Jack, Jack the Ripper. Ripper. That's right, because he traveled. And we even we used to watch we're, we used to watch that show about H. H. Holmes. I'll do I'll do an episode on him. But um yeah, let me let me know what you guys think. 
next episode is going to be a little different. It's going to be a two-parter, so part one will come up next week at some point. Thank you all so much for letting me ramble on. And this was meant to be a mini yes. episode. Thank you all so much for letting her ramble on. Yes. Because it gives her a place to ramble on. If you're on. still here, <laughs> if you're still here, I appreciate it. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Kidding. But this was truly supposed to be a mini episode, even though I don't even... Like right now, I mean, we're going to edit this down, but we're at an hour and 30 minutes. I told you it wasn't going to be. This is my version of a mini episode. That's fine. So This is the sweet spot. Anything longer than this, I don't think it's... Yeah. But I love you guys. And I appreciate y'all. It's so much fun doing this. It's my little escape. And uh, I'll meet you back here next week for part one of a new Evil Pudding case. Evil Pudding is coming back next week. Next week. And then the whole after. With a whole new setup. So we're not going to hear... Eight noises coming out of our son's room. and Which we're super excited about. And two, it also lets us kind of set it up to eventually we want to kind of put this on YouTube. So you actually can see us as we're doing this, interacting, um, indulging in our beverages of choice. Which tonight, I think you have some wine. And I, have a, I have a glass of wine. I got a little beer over here. Mm-hmm. But it definitely will add something to it. You know, people want to see what they're hearing sometimes. Yeah. I'm not going to get dressed up for it either. I wouldn't expect you to. Absolutely not. I'll be in sweatpants and a hoodie because that's what I'm in. Yeah, we're getting down to the nitty gritty. I gotta, I gotta get my activewear. <laughs> oh, I need my activewear to tell crime stories. It's the serious. It's the workout clothes. It's it the is. Seriousness. I break a sweat. <laughs> I do. I get so excited. Anyway, all right, guys. we love y'all. Thank you all so much for your support. And be good to each other. Be good to each other. And like Courtney said, you know, hit us up. Tell us the stories you want to hear. Give us feedback. We love all that stuff. But until our next Grizzly Murders, y'all have a good night. Peace out from the Pudding Pod.